Welcome to the Cinema Rack, where we celebrate the greatest and worst in Hollywood films and their most self-indulgent narcissistic actors, directors, and producers. Here, we will laud and malign Hollywood's seedier elements with levity and humor. They love cinema as much as anyone does. They've been talking about it for over 30 years. Time to get trashy. Here's Gregory and May. Hello, everybody. This is Gregory. Welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Rag. I hope you're doing well today. Today, we're going to do a retrospective on Jack Black and ask the question, what happened to this guy? Before we begin on Jack Black, I do want to talk about Little Mermaid. So Little Mermaid... The live action came out uh, the past weekend and didn't do that well. And in fact, it looks like if you account for overseas, it looks like it's probably going to break even in terms of the amount of money that had to be spent for marketing and other things. So as of recording this, it looks like it's going to make about 300 to 350 million in U.S. and Canada market and only about 260 million abroad. Typically with Disney movies, Disney movies make about 60% from the global box office and make the minority in the North America office or North America scene, so to speak. And in this case, uh, it's not going to happen. And I don't know if you've been hearing about this at all, but uh, there's been a lot of people who've been posting so many one-star reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes that have come out and said that they were going to adjust their algorithm and look, some of these reviews were coming out even before the movie was coming out. So people were doing a protest, a protest vote. So just speak on Little Mermaid. So they and other review aggregators are adjusting their algorithm to account for the, the, the I suppose you'd call biased one-star reviews. I mean, I don't know how biased they are. I mean, look, certainly if you haven't seen the movie, you shouldn't be posting a review. But if you've seen the movie, you don't like it, post a one-star review. Either way, so the, the issue with this is this. If if it doesn't make more than, ooh, I don't know, $400 million global, it's going to be considered a gigantic tank. Especially when you consider that the other live actions did very well. Most recently, Aladdin, which was 2019, got over a billion. And 66% of that gross was overseas, including China. Little Mermaid ain't going to get there. It ain't going to get there. And so it might end up taking a loss of $20 million because they spend a lot of money, a lot of money for things that we don't really think about. You think about the reported budget was, I mean, $250 million. And for what I've seen, to be honest, I've not seen this. And I probably won't see it because I haven't seen the Lion King one and I haven't seen the Aladdin one. I did see the Beauty and the Beast one. And I think I saw the, they did one with uh, Lila James. That was Cinderella, I believe. I saw Cinderella with my daughter. So I probably won't even see this because, to be honest, I don't, I don't even subscribe to Disney anymore. But it costs $250 million. And what I've heard, the CGI is just horrifically bad. And then $140 million on spending, global marketing spending. $140 million. I mean, just imagine the money. $140 million. I mean, it's not like this is uncommon with very large studios. But you just think of that number. 140 just down the drain. This movie comes out and yeah, it goes to VOD or whatever. And then that money goes to nothing. $250 million production costs 140 on marketing. So if it hits anything below 400 million, 
it's likely going to take a $20 million loss. And even if it gets to 40, $450 million, uh, overall, that's going to be considered a major bust. So why do people think that this movie isn't doing well? When I say it's not doing well, it's it's doing what they kind of expected to do domestically with about 300, $350 million in U.S. Canada. But why isn't it doing well overseas? Well, look, it could be a couple of things. I think there's a certain part of Americans that don't like the stunt casting. And they it's not that they don't like Haley Berry because apparently she's very good in this, very winning. But it's I think it's more with the flyover country because that's how the, the literati and the, and the intelligentsia look at pretty much everything from Nevada all the way to the Appalachia including the South, it's flyover country. They have disdain for the common man. And they're completely out of touch. So they think the stunt casting, and if you don't know the, the story too, the six bus in the Caribbean where Prince Eric is adopted. So the, the queen, Eric's mother, is, is Caribbean as well. So they adopted a, a, a white child when he was very young. So they've, they've, changed, they've changed the setting in addition to changing, uh, of course, the color of, of the Little Mermaid. So I think there is a part of America that it's not racist. They just have to appreciate the stunt casting of it. And there was that leak that came out of Disney, a white paper leak. It was a woman, a high executive, and I really need to look this up before I do this recording. But she said something like, by, <clears throat> excuse me, by 2030, 50% of all the characters are going to be people of color or LGBT, and all this came out. And there's a certain segment of the population that doesn't appreciate stunt casting and doesn't appreciate like social engineering, so to speak. The, 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 the intentionally putting these, these things in uh, for the sake of putting them in. Then if you look at Europe, I, I could tell you from a soccer perspective, there is a player, Vinicius Jr., who plays for Real Madrid. He's, he's black. And he plays in the Spanish Liga, Liga. And he gets commonly booed and, and, and they chant out mono, mono, which means monkey. In most of the town, I would say most, but a lot of the venues that he plays at in Spain. So it's, I would say racism certainly is more pervasive in overseas. And not just with the Europeans, but with Asians as well. There is this kind of, and you see this with K-pop and some other places, there is this premium put on the wider you are, the better you are. And so I think overseas, I do think, and of course, obviously can't speak for everybody who's overseas, but I think the overseas thing is less of maybe the conservative values, reasons why Americans, some Americans didn't show up for this movie, the social engineering, so to speak. And I think overseas is just plain old racism. They're like, no, Little Mermaid needs to be redhead. And even the Asians are like, the Little Mermaid needs to be a white redhead. And they're like, this is stunt casting and they don't appreciate it. But either way, it's a tank. And we'll see if Disney learns from this because they brought back Iger, the uh, the former CEO who ran it. And he's a little more contentious and into politics and, and getting kind of into the verbal debate. Let's take I a break. I want to let you know about some of the other feeds here at the Eclectico Gregorio. The oldest one we have is... The Awakened Man, which mostly deals with holistic health, medical cover-ups, ways to biohack your life, to ensure longer longevity, medical conspiracies, and naturopathic stuff. 
We also have, and that there's probably about 400, 500 episodes over there. We started that one back in 2017, 2016, I believe. We also have the Female Holistic Health Apothecary, which originally started as an essential oils feed. And there's about 100 episodes on essential oils, particular essential oils like rose and lavender and sandalwood and so forth. And then later I morphed it into more topics that are regarded for female health, female specific. We've had that feed also since 2016. And then lastly, we have Confessions of an Obese Child, which deals with my childhood obesity and trauma that came from it. So it's a great feed for those who dealt with childhood trauma that led you to have addictions to alcohol or food. And I interviewed several people and what it was like to grow up overweight and all the difficulties of losing the weight and then keeping it off and trying to metamorphosize into a regular weighted person. So check out those feeds at the Eclectical Gregory on Apple or Spotify. And you combine that with, with DeSantis, the governor, and the, he and Disney are fighting about some of the, the policies in Florida dealing with, with LGBT issues. And uh, Disney kind of responded by having like the largest gay and trans festival <laughs> at a Disney complex. So I don't know. I mean, it's all stupid politics, to be honest. But Little Mermaid tanked. And I, and I guarantee you that if Little Mermaid had casted a white girl with a fake red hair, like Eileen Wernos from Annie back in the 80s, the movie would have done much better. Say what you want from that statement. I don't think anybody can deny it. I don't think Hollywood executives can deny it. I can see why Disney and people at Hollywood would want to bring in a cast of more inclusivity and diversity. I can totally understand that. But I think they they didn't really think about not just the American conservative market, but the overseas market. And sometimes for the push of inclusivity and, and, and uh, diversity, Sometimes it's going to hurt the bottom line. I think in this case, had they just gone the more, for lack of a better word, conservative route and chose a redhead, white redhead, or a white girl wearing a, a wig, the movie would have made more money. And so ultimately, Disney has to make that decision because ultimately all these companies are, are there for, the, for, for making the buck. And how much are they going to compromise or make vulnerable the optimization of money for the sake of diversity, inclusion, and so forth? I, I don't know. I don't know. By the way, Jack Black. We'll make this quick. Jack Black was a big wig about you know, 15 years ago. And I don't know what happened to this guy. Jack Black's only 53 years old. He's not old. And he's kind of, look, we talked about Russell Crowe, age like spoiled milk and not like fine wine. And he got overweight and all these things. And look, Jack Black's always been kind of chubby. And he's always been like a ball of energy for sure. But uh, this guy's career really hasn't done much. He hasn't really done much at all. If you look at his peak, his peak, he was making a lot of money, quite a bit of money. And it's interesting to see why he's not making as much money. Now, animation-wise, he made a killing doing Kung Fu Panda. And if you don't know, he's the voice of, I believe, Donkey Kong on the Super Mario Brothers movie that's already eclipsed a million dollars. But in terms of his on-screen persona... It's, it's kind of gone. And if you look at his heyday, well, let's look at his heyday. I remember seeing for the first time, probably in High Fidelity, where he plays the, one of the assistants to, to John Cusack's character in that movie, which takes place at a record store. And, you know, I, this is almost like an emperor has no clothes because Jack Black's got one gear. And it's the frenetic, kinetic cannonball of humor that he is, which is best epitomized, I think, in School of Rock. 
But he gets his break in 2000 uh, with that movie. I'd, I'd say I probably saw him in Orange County, which I think came out before that. And he was he had some small roles. He wasn't like in The Cable Guy, for example. And I still don't... And I, Enemy of the State and some other movies like that. But for me, I think it was High Fidelity where I first saw him. And then later he did Saving Silverman the next year. And then he did Shallow Howl with Gwyneth Paltrow where he thinks the woman that he's looking... I, I guess, if I'm not mistaken, he gets cursed, right? Doesn't he get cursed? He's such, a, he's such a shallow jerk. And so he falls in love with an overweight woman. But when he looks at her, she looks like Gwyneth Paltrow. And then Orange County came out in 2002, small movie. And then he, he's, he does the voices in Ice Age. So you think Jack Black has made some bank doing the animation. No doubt he's made some bank. After that, he does School of Rock, which is the Linkletter movie. I think this is probably his best iconic performance playing Dewey Finn. And he's so charming and winning in this movie. And I think he's never had a better role than this movie. He really hasn't. And I think when he dies... His oeuvre is going to start with his Dewey Finn betrayal. Because I, I I really don't think he ever did anything better than that. 2004, he does Envy. This That's the Ben Stiller movie where they're best friends. And he ends up winning a lot of money. I can't remember if it's a lottery. And he's just really gaudy and on cetacean. Like, like, like white trash, but he gets a lot of money. Ben Stiller, he doesn't know how to deal with it. It's because he's his friend, but he just kind of loses it. He gets slowly unhinged. And he's got the small role in Anchorman as a motorcyclist who kicks Baxter over the bridge. Baxter! Then he's in King Kong in 2005. Then he's in Nacho Libre in 2006. I mean, again, these movies are all kind of the same. He's in Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny. He has that band with the other guy in Tenacious D. That, you know, it's not my type of music, but whatever. And then in 2006, he does The Holiday. The Holiday I find to be an interesting movie because he's completely miscasted in this movie. This movie, it's got the beautiful people. It's got Jude Law and Cameron Diaz. It's got pretty, 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 pretty Kate Winslet, who ends up getting paired up with him, who plays Miles. And it's just like, what? I, I get why they brought him in to buy the comic relief, but please spare me. Kate Winslet, even when she's playing frumpy, would never give a guy like Jack Black the time of day. Completely miscasted. Completely miscasted. So he does that in 2006. Kung Fu Panda is 2000 and he's done a zillion of those. He's also in 2008 Tropic Thunder. Uh, that's one of the movies I love in that series. And he plays the, the chubby guy who's, who's hooked on drugs. And he's trying to come off of the drugs. And then uh, we'll just skip all the Kung Fu Pandas because, I mean, he's got tons of these. And then you start seeing year one is 2009. That's that really bad prehistoric movie he does with Michael Sarah. And then later on in 2010, he does Gulliver's Travels. That movie did not do well. You know, anytime he tries to do somewhat of a, a more dramatic role, people don't respond to it at all. They really don't. In 2011, he's in Bernie with uh, Galifianakis in that movie. And that, you know, that movie is decent. He, he does a decent job in that movie. I would say. Then later on in, uh, I mean, it's just a lot of Tenacious D and a lot of Kung Fu Panda. Just, just a lot of stuff like that that's not really uh, that great, I would say. Then eventually he does some television. He does The Brink in 2015. He does 10 episodes of that. And a lot of Kung Fu Panda, 
lot of animation work, and a lot of cameos on television. Later on, he does do Jumanji with Karen Gillum and The Rock. And that movie, he does well in because that fits him really well. That kind of character fits him well. He does that in 2017. And then later on, I believe there is a sequel to that movie. I have not seen either of them. 2022, he plays Wolfman Jack, the old TJ and Weird Al Yankovic story. That's the one that's got, if I'm not mistaken, Daniel Radcliffe uh, in that movie. And I think that movie was on Roku. I think it went straight to Roku. Later on, he does uh, a couple of uh, scenes in History of the World Part Two, the TV series. They redid the old Malbloke movie, and he's in that. He has a little cameo in The Mandalorian. And then, as I mentioned, in 2023, he plays, it was in Donkey Kong, he plays Bowser. He plays Bowser in Super Mario Brothers. And then in terms of his future, he's got something called Borderlands. Feature film based on the popular video game set on the abandoned fictional planet of Pandora, where people search for a mysterious relic. He's doing that. He's doing a movie in uh, in production. He's doing Kung Fu Panda 4, so he's doing that for paycheck time. Then he's doing two movies in production. He's doing Dear Santa, a young boy who, writing in his early years to Santa, mixes up the letters and sends it to Satan instead, and he's playing Satan. In terms of his personal life, he's admitted to having some issues with drugs when he was younger, in particular with cocaine. And he's done a lot of mental health awareness. And, of course, I don't know Jack Black. He strikes me, though, as somebody who probably suffers from some mental health problems, maybe bipolar. I, I can't tell, but he, he does seem to have uh, some... I wouldn't be surprised, let's just say, if he's been struggling with some, some mental health problems. In terms of his dating life, he's been with the same woman for, for quite some time. He's been with a woman by the name of Tanya Hayden, who... Uh, they met back in the early 2000s, and they got engaged in 2006. And they got married in 2006, and they had a son that was born in 2006, so do the math there. And then they have another son that was born in 2008. One of Jack Black's brothers, Howard, died of AIDS back in 1991, which is quite sad. And so look, Jack Black, I mean, no doubt he had his run which was probably about 15 years ago, I'd say, which is peak. I think a school of rock was about 20 years ago, so I'd say about 2002 to 2010. And I think the guy is talented in that one year, that one mode. And like we've talked about it in Other Emperors Has No Clothes, how you don't need to be Michael Fassbender or Daniel Day-Lewis or... Christian Bale are these kind of chameleon actors to do well in Hollywood. And if I had to guess, probably Jack Black probably has more money in the bank than Christian Bale does. I could be wrong there. But you got to find your gear and find your audience and find your roles and stick to it. I think a perfect example of this is The Rock. I don't think anyone could say that The Rock is a good actor, but The Rock <laughs> makes the right movies and he's found his audience and his audience will die for The Rock. And because of that, he makes a lot of money. And I think with Jack Black, Jack Black embodies a certain type of comic, a comedy, a certain type of acting. It's not necessarily one that I find that appealing, but when it's the right script in the right role, he can excel like something in School of Rock. But when he's miscast, which he tends to be miscast in a lot of movies where they don't know how to use his frenetic energy, like Nacho Libre, he's well cast in that, right? Because that fits him. But when he's cast in movies like The Holiday, or anything that's remotely dramatic, 
just doesn't fit him. It just doesn't fit him. So we'll see what the future is in store for Jack Black. I mean, we didn't mention him, May and I, in that two-part series on have these actors reached their peak yet? Because, I mean, to, in, in all charity to Black, he's he's past his prime. I, I think <laughs> May and I, if we brought up that conversation, I think she would probably agree with me. Simply because he's 50, 53 and his biggest hits were 15, 20 years ago. Either way, I'll post a poll at the Spotify and the Facebook Cinema Rag group. Let me know what you think of Mr. Black. There's a link for PayPal to make a donation. Please rate and review on Spotify and Apple because it helps with the algorithm. There's a link for Naturopathic Earth, the website which hosts all the Eclectical Gregorio feeds. Until next time, take care. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Rag. Please post an honest review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out the episode notes to visit our website and to make a donation. Lastly, follow the rag today. Until next time.